You're listening to Blue Room, Bluecast's child podcast, part of Indiana Review. I'm Hannah Thompson, and today Katie Flynn reads In the Skin from our issue 39.2, and we interview Essence London on why she voted for this piece. In the Skin. Dahlia reclines on her bed during her regularly scheduled break, inspecting her hair for split ends. She finds one, her lips tuck in concentration as she tears the hair in two. She lets the long string of cells loose, glowing like fool's gold as it bobs and arcs its way to the carpeting. Behind her is a parting in the clouds, just the right angle, a rare dose of sunlight amid the clustered towers of downtown San Francisco. It lights the floor-to-ceiling windows on fire, Dahlia too, her skin aglow, lips shimmering with the gloss she applies religiously. Sometimes she balances the round silver canister on my head and I stay very still. It is not hard to balance things. Dahlia rolls to her side and gives me a wide, lopsided smile. Tell me the story again. I inch closer to her bed, close enough that I could reach out, stroke her hair. But I do not, I will never, not without invitation. What if mother hears? Please, Lilac, I'm so bored, Dahlia groans. I do not blame her. She has not attended group night on the 143rd floor for several months now. And it has been two years and 17 days since she went outside. And me? I have never been past this door, never gone outside Dahlia's room. It is mother's dictum. I call up the memories, feel them supercharge my system, and begin the telling. Nikki and I sat cross-legged in the quad, enjoying our sack lunches. We were close enough to the huddle of girls who knew everything that I could hear them, or nearly so. I had to study their mouths to understand. They were talking about a boy, his penis actually, and the one with red hair had her hands out like bookends, demonstrating its length. She had pink skin, a mole like a lost button peeking out from her Oxford, open to her bra line, a uniform infraction worthy of detention. The girls used words I knew in other contexts, like cock and rod, coloring them with new meaning, and I sunk my teeth into my turkey sandwich, storing away the information. Dahlia laughs, clutching her pillow, rolling side to side. It is funny to her, this talk of penises. She is an adolescent, so of course it is natural. But I do not find it funny. I can laugh. It is not hard to let out a barking sound. I do this now, bark with Dahlia, until she is ready for me to continue. Red explained an encounter with a senior, so tall he was too tall, deceptively heavy, the girls debating the benefits and disadvantages of being on top. I listened, not daring to chew, until the blonde with the orange rub-on tan locked eyes with me. We've got an audience, she said, and Red glared at me, running her finger around that mole, an unpleasing habit. I swallowed, cough-choking a bite down as the girls who knew everything went away flipping hair and huffing. Mother's coming, Dahlia hisses, but already I am zipping into my closet. Dahlia pretends to sleep as Mother stands on the other side of the door, the twin shadows of her feet darkening the cream carpeting. I turn my gaze to the window decorated with purple butterflies, the metal and glass glare of the towers beyond. 
Hovering in the clouds is a lone hawk, red tail if my feet is accurate. Mother stalks back down the hallway and Dahlia whispers, go on. Nikki slouched across from me, cringing down a sip from her thermos. What are you drinking? Herbal tea. We have social sciences next period. Mr. DeSoto is the only teacher who will let me sleep. Sleep? Why do you need to sleep? Nikki and I did not have separate lives. If one of us was up late, the other one was on the phone hearing about it. I've been having these dreams, like I'm someone else, an old woman with wrinkles and a husband. She dropped her voice to a whisper. We have sex together. I do things in my dream I never knew existed. That's disgusting. Nikki bit the tip off a baby carrot. It doesn't feel disgusting. It feels real. That's why I believe in reincarnation. I'm certain I lived that life. That woman is me. Well, you can't do that in class, I said too loudly. Her eyes darted about, her voice hushed. No one will know. I'll know. So? So I don't need that mental picture. You couldn't picture it if you tried. She gagged down the rest of her tea and gathered her things. I wanted to stop her, to tell her I was sorry. She was my best friend, my only friend, but I could not find the words. I can say them now, over and over. I am sorry. I do not know why it was so hard then. You should have asked for details. Dahlia pouts from her treadmill. It is time for exercise and she must stay on routine. She huffs up a steep incline, pumping her pudgy arms, hair tied in a messy knot at the top of her head. It would make for a better story. You are right, I tell her. Should I continue? She is always interrupting. It is her habit telling me how to tell my story. I do not discourage her. It is better for us both if I learn to tell it the way she wants. Only it is always changing what she wants from me. I am not particularly advanced, though I try, playing up the parts she likes, skipping over the boring details. When I should be dozing, I steal off on my feed for her to learn new words, new ways of saying what I mean. But in my head, the story never changes. They play for me, memory after memory, every word, every smell, every last itch. Red glared at me from her desk near the back. I tried not to make eye contact as I slipped into my seat, mercifully buffered by Belinda McCormick's perky ponytail. Nikki had rested her head on the desk in front of me, though I could tell by her tense shoulders she was awake. Mr. DeSoto was writing out our roles in the upcoming mock trial of Harry Truman. I saw my name in the list of jurors, determining whether the president had committed a war crime when he bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It was ancient history, some 50 years earlier, but Mr. DeSoto could not be convinced to pick something more culturally relevant. Nikki was asleep now. Her face had sagged into her forearm, a sliver of drool zigzagging her chin. I twiddled my pencil, chewed on its end in a way that suggested I was somewhere else entirely, only it was Nikki who was traveling. The kids around her laughed when they saw her sleeping. Red zipped a paper airplane over Nikki's desk. Mr. DeSoto kept on writing. Of course, Red was given a big part. She would play the defendant's attorney. She sneered at the board, her eyes meeting mine as I dared to register her reaction. Mr. DeSoto, will I be able to vet my jurors? Mr. DeSoto paused at the board, sighed, and went back to writing. 
Sorry, you're stuck with me, I told Red. Excuse me? You heard me, and I won't be bullied into changing my vote. I will kick your ass. You will have to make a good case. She opened her mouth to insult me, but Mr. DeSoto was writing Nikki's name now, her part, Harry Truman. Red snorted. Give me someone I can work with, Mr. DeSoto. He turned, squinting as if into a spotlight. Then he noticed Nikki asleep. He balled up his list, slammed it into the trash can, and shouted, Wake up! The whole class shrank away from him, like trees bending in a bomb test, as Nikki raised her head, wiped the drool from her chin. I would hate that, Dahlia says from the shower, the bathroom steamy, the mirror mercifully fogged. I do not enjoy the sight of myself. My body is not so much mine as the thing I am in. Sitting in a classroom with all those kids, how embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Many times we were embarrassed. Mother says it builds character. Do you believe that? I do not know. Oh, come on, Lilac, use your imagination. I want to tell her I am trying, but it comes out like a hiccup, as it always does when she asks for instant answers to questions that require processing. I do not know. Forget it. Will you go on? Yes, of course. I omit my usual request for advancement. There is no question it would make me a better companion, but Dolly is tired of my asking, and it is not her fault. There is no convincing mother who does not like me, who has many voices. She is in sales for a chemical company, some magical solvent. Sometimes I hear her making her screen pitches through the door. For the first few weeks, I thought there was someone else living in the apartment, another woman, pleasant and laughing. I would hear the smiling sound of her voice as she made her sales calls and wonder who this woman was who glowered at me, who barked. We shuffled out the school's door into a bleak afternoon, misty with marine layer. Everyone thinks Laguna Beach is all sunshine and beaches, but I remember it as gray. I feel so free, Nikki gushed, linking her arm in mine. I had never seen her like that. If she was going crazy, her paranoid parents were not going to be much help. They were skeptical of modern medicine and anti-vaccination, which is why Nikki came down with the shingles in eighth grade and how she became my friend. She was pretty enough to sit higher in the high school hierarchy, but weird, with strange ideas about science and medicine. Once, she even argued with me about becoming an organ donor on my driver's license. You're getting off track. Dahlia wipes the circle of mirror clean and examines her face from various angles, trying on various pouts. Can you please just stick to the story? I apologize, ask her if she would like me to brush her hair as I recount. No thanks. She touches the spot at the base of her head where the hair is starting to come back in. I think she meant it as a joke, asking me to braid her hair. But I got caught in my joints. Some of the hairs are still there. Dahlia cannot get them out, not even with tweezers. Just the story, she yawns, and I know I must get to the exciting part soon. Nikki dug her head into my neck as we broke free of the crowd, hustling down the sidewalk. He made me paella. And... And what? She wanted me to ask, to admit I was interested, but I would never, and she knew it. Of course, I did not have to. She wanted to tell me. We did it in the kitchen. Can you be more specific? I cannot. What happens between a husband and wife is private. Ha. I'm not going to argue with you about my faith. Your faith? 
Reincarnation is a central tenet of the Hindu religion. She stabbed a bony elbow into my side, and I winced away from her. She had incredible reach with a jab and a long gait that got the cross-country instructor interested, though Nikki had asthma. You're Truman, you know. What? In the mock trial. No. And Red's your lawyer. Why do you pretend you don't know their names? Who said I'm pretending? She threw an arm over my shoulder, and I clasped her waist, and we were walking together down the uneven sidewalk, trees shaking leaves loose, lodging in her hair, crunching underfoot. And I felt it, how free she was, how it caught on me, carrying me with her. I want to meet someone, Nikki said. I want to feel it in my own skin. You mean sex? She gave me a savage roll of the eyes. Why not? I'm not a virgin anymore. Isn't that cheating? In my dreams, I'm her and me at the same time. Here, I don't know. I haven't figured it all out yet. But I think he wants me to be happy. Who knows? Maybe I'll even find him in a hot new body. I was not sure what to say to that. She sounded so earnest, as if she really believed it. But what was even more irrational was that I believed it, too. I could feel it, the wanting. That was all I knew of faith. That's enough. It is mother, and she is frowning at me, arms crossed, long nails decorated with a colorful flurry of dots, tap-tapping on her forearm. How long has she been listening, and why did I not notice? Dahlia is equally alarmed. I can tell by the lie she delivers. We were just talking about the differences between our schools. Did you really go with all your friends? That's fascinating, Lilac. Sure you were. Should I turn it off, or are you going to? Time for bed. Dahlia pats me on the head. I do not feel it exactly, but my system registers the touch's vibrations. That is something like feeling. It is only 7.14, I offer. According to my clock, we still have 11 minutes. Mother stomps over to me. You little. She reaches around to my back and darkness falls. Essence, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. Good. You are our associate editor. What does that mean? I am basically second in command (laughs) with Indiana Review. I send a lot of emails, like 70% of my job is sending emails (laughs) and promotion for Indiana Review. And I read the work that has been submitted and I vote and discuss the pieces Um, usually once a week. You're a writer yourself, right? I am. I am mostly quote-unquote trained in poetry, but I am dabbling in fiction, and I might actually be uh, a convert fully fiction nowadays. We'll 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 see how that goes. Might that have played a part in you choosing In the Skin for um, this podcast? I think so. It's something about fiction that reminds me a lot of film and television and the way that we get to know the characters and we get to spend time and get attached to them, even over 15, 20 pages or even less time or less space than that. Some writers are able to have that that relationship develop between reader and the characters. I like getting to know characters. It's hard for me to meet people in real life, but I can sit down and get to know a character in a story. 
So in addition to me just really enjoying spending time with characters and seeing them grow and develop and fail (laughs) and be normal people, I enjoy futuristic work. And this is definitely that. Absolutely. Well, let's get into it. You first saw this story in the fiction box, correct? That's right, yes. What drew you to this piece? What made it stand out? I read this piece as an associate genre editor, so I wasn't yet in my current position. I was more so like a reader and someone who's simply voting yes or no for certain pieces. When I was reading this one in particular, I was confused actually for the first few pages, but I was interested in the characters Dahlia and in Lilac. I wasn't sure what exactly or who exactly Lilac was, but I was invested in finding out because the prose was really beautiful. And then their chemistry, Lilac and and Dahlia's chemistry, it, it drew me in. So you said that you were a little bit confused by it at first. We've talked about productive confusion that happens in writing sometimes. Do you feel like it falls into that category of sort of the productive confusion? As if the confusion was intentional, like the goal was for the reader to be confused at first. Yeah, well, not just intentional. There's a difference between something being unintentional and intentional, but there's also a difference between somebody being intentional and not pulling it off. Yeah. And being intentional and pulling it off. Definitely, yeah. And you can be unintentional and still pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I do believe that it's constructive confusion because Lilac has confused herself about yeah. who she is and what she is. She doesn't have a full memory of what happened to her or how she got to be in this new body. And I think that it goes along with the themes of the story. Did your understanding of the piece change between reading the story, deliberating, and finally voting on it? I think it did. Specifically during the deliberation meeting, I read the story once on my own. I enjoyed it because of the beautiful prose, as I mentioned before, and because of the the themes and the characters. But when we have those meetings on Fridays, we're able to hear what other people gravitated towards in the story. Those meetings are a space for people's understanding to evolve. I think that's the entire point of those meetings on Fridays so that we can hear each other out, see the different parts of the story, why it stood out to certain people and why it might stand out to readers of the magazine. My understanding of the mother's frustration with Lilac evolved. At first, I I thought that it was just her being afraid of what Lilac is and being frustrated with the quarantine. But she mentions the dark story that Lilac tells on a regular basis. And I think that she was just trying to find a way to to protect her daughter, Dahlia. Yeah, because she comes off as like a really unsympathetic character, but there is there's depth to that. Definitely. Yeah. In that vein, so you were talking about our deliberation meetings, which happen on Fridays. The way that works is we have our genre editors choose a number of pieces, and that's it's our first level of weeding through the, through the submissions. Then the genre editors put those in a box, and then we all read those, and then we deliberate almost every Friday on which pieces are actually going to get published, and pieces get published with a majority vote. So that's what Essence was talking about with our Friday meetings. 
sort of talking about that, what kind of fiction do you want to publish at IR? And how does that this story fit in with your vision? Tessa may have mentioned that we have this kind of descriptor for Indiana Review, Carefully Strange. I'm not quite sure who came up with that description, but... A lot of the work that we publish has some type of magical or borderline horror tone to it. And what we look for with that is intentionality, something that we were just talking about a minute ago, and how it works for the overall story. So we don't look for magic and strangeness just for the sake of it, but we're interested in the commentary that it has related to the story and our everyday lives. This story is definitely strange. Yeah. <laughs> it also um, it calls to my interest in transhumanism, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm not a transhumanist, but I'm really interested in what people are doing research-wise to extend the lives of humans and to create our own evolution. Anything is possible, even reincarnation, or extending our lives by many, many years. Ultimately, I would say I'm interested in social issues, contemporary issues, and contemporary lenses to being human. If that includes transferring consciousness into a robot, I'm into that. Or if it includes reimagining what our political system can look like, I'm interested in that. If it's blah, blah, blah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty much all for it. That's great. Yeah, that leads really seamlessly into my next question, which is, why do you think speculative fiction or fiction like this is so popular? And why is it so important at this moment? And the way that labor used to be, physical labor used to be important to our communities and to our economy, creativity is that thing now. Even though physical labor is definitely still a part of our everyday lives, it's something about creativity and imagination that is prized and respected now. I think that people who had those tendencies <laughs> are more willing to share that side of themselves because it's it's more accepted now. But also because all of the political stressors and the financial stressors that many Americans are going through at this point, we are itching for something different. Mm-hmm. And sitting down and imagining and reimagining what our lives could look like, that it gives us some agency, I think. So right now people are writing a lot of speculative fiction. And like you said, we're looking for carefully strange Mm -hmm. pieces. And I wanted to know what makes this story notable? What makes it stand out from other speculative fiction or other literary fiction with sci-fi elements? I'm not an expert on stories in this vein, even though I really like them, I'm not an expert. I can't like name anyone off the top of my head. But what I say is really important about this piece is the friendship with Lilac, the story that she tells Dahlia. It's about her friend. It's about Nikki and about the relationship that she and Nikki had and about her missing her and wanting to find her. And Dahlia now Even though Lilac didn't choose Dahlia as a friend, they are friends and they're really close. And it's about who we cling to that makes this piece different. It's not just about the way that disaster can change a community or technology can threaten our lives. It's about 
the people, the companions that we cling to to get through those hard times. So the themes in this story are so real. Ecological collapse, isolation, relational and domestic violence, discrimination, and death. How do you approach a story like this? And how does Flynn manage to deal with such heavy stuff without devastating the reader? I think you approach this story in the same way that you approach any other. Being open to following the rhythm of the story and the characters of the story, you have to be willing to go with them. Because as I said, that confusion and see what's on the other side. I feel like Flynn gave us time to breathe. We have those uh, the story within the story, of course. So we have the frame. So when things get too heavy with Dahlia and Lilac in the room, we cut straight to Nikki. And when things get too heavy with Nikki and that story inside of the story, then we can cut back out and we we see Lilac and Dahlia. So there are layers of heaviness, but we're able to, to breathe between those breaks. And also there are lighter moments. So when Dahlia is laughing and so tickled by the penis in Lilac's story, it gives us a light moment. Well, thank you so much, Essence, for coming to this blue room to talk oh, about pleasure. yeah in the skin. We were interviewing Essence London, the associate editor, about In the Skin by Katie Flynn, which Katie Flynn read earlier. You can find the rest of that story in our issue 39.2, and you can even read another excerpt of the story. <laughs> online you can find indiana review at our website indianareview.org where you can purchase copies of indiana review we are on instagram at in review on twitter under the same handle and also on facebook essence how can people get in contact with you well, my number is no. I'm just <laughs> I said that I was gonna take a break from social media. Oh, okay. Like you can find me in Bloomington. I'm Hannah Thompson. You can find me at Twitter at Hands Love Handles. <laughs> this is Blue Room. We are Indiana Review, and keep reading. <laughs>